A lot of people are watching along with us. Things are going to be taken a lot further. It does keep the flow really, really nicely, which makes it a show that was really ahead of its time. Where's that petrified eyeball at now? Who's had it last? Macy is amazing, and she doesn't care about what other people think about her. Don't you feel like maybe Dodie represents the instinctive animal ugly part of us? I might have just been having a bad day when I gave it the math. Hello and welcome back to We're In Between, the podcast that discusses an episode of As Told by Ginger once a week, every week. This week we have the episode And She Was Gone. It's episode 37 of the show and our episode 36. So before we discuss about today's episode, we're going to be reading off the comments from episodes uh, 33 through 36. So we're going to start things off with uh, episode 33, which was Family Therapy, whom we've had uh, Paul Greenberg and Jackie Harris Greenberg as guests. And we're going to start things off with a comment from Cameron Biggs. And he says, I enjoyed this episode too. It's comforting to see a character like Macy, who despite being a certain age, like 13, she still enjoys what makes her happy, even if everyone assumes it being a to be childish or juvenile. For instance, podcasts like yours that look back on animated shows that people would assume is just for kids, which is a stereotype that is discouraging from doing what people like to do. I'm 23 and I'm still into cartoons more than live action and I prefer watching an animated film than watching a live action film. I'm also in drawing class and the subject I have, I draw, have cartoons in them even though people are drawing with realism or abstract. It's ironic that we're living in a world where nostalgia is starting to make a comeback. I was surprised on Miranda's comment on Macy's party. I will give this episode a yay as well. All right, thanks. And it's nice to see a somewhat new name. I don't know if we've had this listener comment before. So welcome, if that's the case. And sorry if I missed you, if that's not the case. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I know Cameron, he's been in a few of my live streams, and maybe he commented here and there, but yeah, it's been a while since we've heard from him. Uh, we have another comment from Nisaya Lucero, and she says, I really enjoyed this episode. Macy is a great character, and is becoming one of my favorite characters of the show. Also, I can relate to this. I also have trouble growing up. Sometimes I still wish I was younger than I am. The only thing I was not so sure which Macy episode I like better, which is Comeback Little Seal Girl or Family Therapy. What do you guys think? Well, personally, for me, I still love Comeback Little Seal Girl because I feel that this is this that was a one of the first instances in which we saw Macy as a really strong character standing up for what she believes in, and also that Seal Girl scene is still iconic. So, um, I do think that uh, Family Therapy is a close second, but I still prefer Seal Girl. Yeah, I uh, I would agree if I ultimately had to pick, but I think we need both because one episode, you know, Comeback Little Seal Girl is very much about Macy the individual and family therapy is very much like, how did Macy come to be, you know, through her family roots? So I think both are very important 
And I honestly wish we had more Macy-centric episodes, so I'm hoping there's at least one more left in Season 3, but we'll find out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, last but not least, uh, we have another comment from Celeste, a.k.a. Selrock, and she left us another long and in-depth comment, which I'm going to paraphrase. If you guys really want to see what she says, then please follow her on the Where in Between forums. It's still an amazing comment, just like she did for Losing Anna Bishop. She said, Hello, everyone. It's me, Celeste, a.k.a. Selrock again. First of all, you may recall how back when I submitted my feedback to Losing Anna Bishop, I stated that I couldn't wait for another Macy-centric episode. Well, looky here, another Macy-centric episode. First, I want to say thank you to the creators of As Told by Ginger for doing this. Now, talking about why, in my opinion, this episode deserves a super yay, not just a yay, a super yay, uh, basically, the plot of this episode is that Macy is turning 13, her parents have completely forgotten all about it, and her ginger convinces Macy to confront her parents about this, though Macy is of course shy about it, so ginger helps out, and by doing so, confronting Macy's parents, they make it up for her by throwing a kid's party. I have a personal connection with the last episode that I posted about. But I also have a personal one for this one, too. My family has never forgotten about my birthday in the 32 years that I've been alive. It will be coming up on my 33rd this coming December. Uh, so, if anything, the rest of the world is probably more prone to not remembering as my birthday, being alive. Uh, being lucky um, some years, if anybody other than my family, even wishing me a happy birthday. And, of course, I'll never forget last year when somebody who I thought was my friend over at fanfiction.net, had planned on writing a birthday story for me in response to the birthday request that I had honored them for the year before, back in 2016, not only to finish my birthday story that had been planning out all year, but in their excuse of doing it because Carrie Fisher had just died, which to me I thought was a lame excuse to throw in the towel and post confronting them about this. They've been showing me on their true colors since that moment, proving not to be my friend, but rather the opposite, who is a cyberbullying troll who got his mother and parents involved in the whole ordeal on Facebook pressuring me into thinking that this person could do no harm. However, while it was pretty awful and something I would never forget, even though my mom actually liked the stories that I posted and I still write fanfiction to this day, so as long as I have the time and not suffering from writer's block where this episode is concerned, I related to the family therapy episode in the sense that my parents haven't always treated me like my current age. I'm very young at heart and to give you an idea, I have a huge collection of Disney movies on DVD. If I'm up late and there is a Rugrats marathon, I'll never miss it because it's my favorite Nicktoon of all time. In fact, that's the main fandom I write for on fanfiction. And I could get down on the floor and play for hours on end with my nephew, and he'll never get bored. However, my parents and how they treated me over the years is a different story. Now, it wasn't as exaggerated as we see with Macy's 13th birthday party at this petting zoo, and maybe because I suffer from multiple disabilities that include blindness, hearing impairment, mild cerebral palsy, and ADHD. Um, I'll give you a few examples my folks have not treated me like an adult. All throughout high school, posting, uh, post getting my first cell phone was back in the days when we had the old dinky flip phones in the early 2000s during, as told by Ginger's original run. I did have to get up early for school as my first period started at 7.25. I had phone curfews of 10 p.m. at night and had no calls between 5.30 a.m. on school mornings. If I broke this rule, I to um, they took my phone away. I had a handful of uh, teenage friends over at Fan Fiction who didn't have a strict curfew on school nights with their modern technology gadgets as I had on a as a child. They even had dial-up internet until I convinced my father to get his broadband when I started college, just as long as I paid for it. And then, of course, there was the time when I was 15 or 16 years old when I was upset that my mom and I couldn't go to the movies because her knees hurt. I got upset, and once I went to my room, I sat down and write on my diary to help me calm down. 
It doesn't stop there. Uh, even when I was at the age of 22, when I was home alone and talking to my boyfriend on the phone and my brother kept beeping because he forgot his keys, uh, seeing as I couldn't drive and had no way to give the keys to him, he repeatedly called me uh, until and interrupted my phone call when my boyfriend was getting him nowhere and I finally lost it. My parents were furious at me when they found out, taking my brother's side and claiming that he was doing okay. And they threatened to ground me from using the phone and taking away it for a month if I ever did anything like that again. Uh, I admire Macy for standing up to Ginger as she, as I did, was standing up for my old parents. And hopefully in future episodes, we'll continue to see Macy grow and mature even more. Sure, she may be young at heart, but I'm sure that, and I'm sure she'll have a special place in her heart for the little seal girl throughout her life. Just as I never stop liking regrets. But you stop letting your, well, when you stop letting your parents treat you like a child and give you some breezing room for independence and treating you more like your age, it shows some maturity. Hmm. A lot to unpack there, but a really interesting comment. Um, and thank you for that that glimpse into how the show impacted you and how your family treats you. I, I certainly could draw some parallels to my own life as well. And it seems like this episode about sometimes not wanting to grow up really resonated with a lot of people as it did for myself. Yes, absolutely. And once again, I was paraphrasing. So if you want to read more of the comments from uh, Celeste, you can go over to the Where in Between forums to check it out. Okay, so now uh, we can go over to episode 34, which was New Girl in Town. We have a comment from Theodore Raven, and this person says, This episode really resonated with me. My family ruled around a lot when I was a kid because of my father's job as a soccer player, so I was uh, always the perpetual new girl in town. Speaking from that experience, the message of the first people who befriend you being the in-crowd is completely true, and we often didn't worry about who or what was in, as long as friendships were intact. We were cool and to one another. I give this episode a yay. And uh, we have a comment from Core A. And this person says, I'm late to the party, but thank you so much for going through the series. I grew up watching it from when I was 8 to 12 years old, but I've never seen it in its entirety until college when someone uploaded the series online. I caught this one of my first watch of the series and I loved it. I had a similar experience as Ginger with the new girl back in elementary. She wasn't well-liked before being edgier and more older than most of us, but she seemed cool and had little concern about other people's opinions. As a 12-year-old girl, I thought it was the raddest thing ever. I hope she's doing okay. She moved away when we were entering middle school. Interesting and connection there. Uh, it is. It's so interesting to me the wide variety of life experiences that As Told by Ginger makes people think of. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go over to our next set of comments, which was um, Ginger Solo. And uh, we got a lot of uh, comments about this. <laughs> All right. We have a comment from Codebox42, and uh, he says, It's unfortunate that Ashley can't be around as much anymore, but I wish her the best of luck. As for this episode, I give it a nay. Hypocrisy is something I cannot stand in shows, and I'm in the same deal as Patricia. I don't like Sasha, and this episode is the catalyst for that. One more thing that wasn't mentioned that really annoyed me is that he tells Ginger that he found Courtney to be extremely obnoxious due to her demanding personality, which, to be fair, yes, Courtney is high-strung, but she has her heart in the right spot when the situation matters the most. Here's Sasha dating a girl exactly like Courtney, while he does nothing in response as Clover acts jerkish towards Ginger. 
It's such a bitch move that really showcases that Sasha is nothing more than a hypocritical scumbag. He's willing to manipulate Ginger's feelings for no reason, then reveals he shamed her to hide his own identity as a wannabe. Also, his reasoning for breaking up with Clover makes no sense. He breaks up with a girl because she dumps him for a popular guy, states he has popular status, only to get back with a girl who's popular. Sounds to me like he didn't like the fact that he didn't have a popular crush and was using those feelings to criticize Ginger for no reason. <laughs> That's an interesting take on it. I have to say I hadn't really thought of it that way. Yeah. We have a comment from Kevin K, and he says, In Sasha's defense, not returning letters is not a good way of rejecting someone. Ginger should have taken this as a sign that it wouldn't work. It rubbed me the wrong way when Ginger joined the band late and then won a medal for basically piggybacking off of the hard work of other band members. Like joining a winning team last second and then celebrating when you were the newest member who had to do the least amount of work. <laughs> Yeah, we even talked about this, Casey, because, you know, you were not exactly too fond of Ginger joining bands, especially when the whole purpose of her joining band was to be with Sasha, as you yourself were in high school band. Yeah, well, sort of where I arrived on all that was I didn't love her reasoning for joining it, but Ginger being Ginger, she ultimately does give it the respect that it deserves. The whole premise is kind of silly because you don't really just play triangle maybe in middle school band but like you have a percussion book right that's a whole bunch of different instruments so like the whole concept was ridiculous that she played one note and it was like this high stakes thing um but i don't know i think ginger got into it for the wrong reasons but being her you know usual do it all self she pulled it off at the end yeah i do agree so we have a comment from Genesis Denise Cardenas, and she says, I have no doubt hated Sasha in this group. Hypocrisy is a big no-no for me. This episode was a meh to me. I like that Miranda actually showed a heart towards Ginger for once. Congratulations to Melissa Disney. Best wishes for her and her family. And we have a comment from Joshua Moore, who says, This episode is not on my top three least favorite episodes, but I would say it's around my top five to top ten least favorite episodes. Yes, the idea of Sasha betraying Ginger for Clover immediately after Camp Caprice and not writing back to Ginger for at least what happened is one of the reasons I gave Summer of Camp Caprice a meh, and lucky enough... Um, well, well, we'll just wait until the whole spoilers thing. Uh, so, yeah. I just hate, hate, hate him. But hey, the A-plot did give me my favorite Miranda moment in the series where she actually tries to make Ginger feel better. Uh, it's a shame that she didn't try to be a little bit more nice to Ginger in the series. I love the song that the band members sing. It was hilarious. I wasn't a big fan of Carl and Hoodsy's plot either because of Carl's bad intentions, even by his standards. So I thought his idea of running a business was done better in fact reputation but hey at least he and hoodsy got their just desserts in the end so after that said i give ginger solo a slight nay yeah fair enough and i good point calling out the miranda actually showing some sort of empathy for ginger for a uh, a, a minute it really is a, a nice moment in the show and it just goes to show that like these characters, as we've said time and time again, they are not one-dimensional. And even Miranda, who is certainly one of the most despicable characters on the show, can have a heart. 
Yes, absolutely. And also, uh, everybody, thank you so much for our silly little comment about the Nick to the, the Nickelodeon cookbook because we have so many suggestions from you guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, go ahead. When uh, Patricia and I recently met up in Central Park in New York, as some of you might have seen on Twitter, and uh, we were sort of brainstorming more recipes and complimenting you guys on your great suggestions. Let's see, we have uh, from Pocketbook, we have obviously stuff from Estol by Ginger, like the Sloppy Jane, the Extra Grande Triangle Quesadillas. Um, let's see, we have the Krabby Patties uh, from SpongeBob, the uh, Hunker Burger from Doug, Good Burgers from, well, Good Burger, Barth's Burgers from You Can't Do That on Television, which, gross. <laughs> <laughs> the the magic muffin from Apocatastrophe again gross but hey you, at least you get a wish from it purple fleur from Jimmy Neutron uh, boy genius um the Linz, the lasagna from the Loud House, spaghetti tacos from iCarly, uh, reptar bars from Rugrats, lickety splits from the Angry Beavers, and moon bars from Zoe One Hundred One. Wow! Okay. Wild. I was a little disappointed to see that everyone forgot about strawberry chunk cake, which was the thing Ashley and I brought up that started the whole discussion about baking food. So yeah, that's all right. Whatever. There, there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like Nana Boom Boom's brownies from Fairly Odd Parents, the gas station microwave bean burritos from Rocket Power. Of course, of course. Uh, the chocolate turtles with the secret ingredients uh, from the Hey Arnold episode uh, where Arnold and Gerald are selling chocolate turtles for the campfire last, which. It actually can work if you add just a little bit of sea salt on the top with some caramel. It's delicious. Um, let's see. Uh, the Bachelorette Bean Burrito. Um, Debbie's, uh, Debbie's Africa Cookies. Hop Fruit Punch, which it can work. It's called Wassel. Look it up. Um, let's see. Food from Carl's Food Cart, like the Feet Loaf, Mac and Sneeze, and Slimeade. Um... Oh, Choco, chocolate cheese from Rugrats. And, uh, uh, wow, I completely forgot about that. You just, like, awakened part of my childhood <laughs> that I have not been in touch with and, for uh, years. And finally, there's Reptar cereal, which uh, it's funny because I just saw this a few days ago um, posted online that FYE, uh, for your entertainment, which is the store that sells, like, DVDs and stuff like that, yeah, they have Reptar bars on sale, and uh, it actually turns your tongue green, so awesome. So yeah, thank you so much for everybody for the amazing suggestions for all these uh, foods. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, if, if we ever do a Nickelodeon cookbook, I'm sure these will probably be on the list of amazing foods to eat. So yeah, thank you so much, everybody. All right, we have our comments from the uh, next episode of Us Told by Ginger, which was Mommy Nearest. And this was the episode that Casey and I were having the most debate on whether it should be ranked a yay or a meh. Uh -huh. So... Uh, guess what? The comments are also split down the middle. Some people, mm. some people liked it, and some people thought it was uh, meh. So let's read some. Okay, so we have one comment from Amy Hodgson, and she says, "I give it a yay. This is one of my favorite episodes. I don't really agree with the out character statement. I think we need to give Ginger a break, and don't forget she's a teenager, and therefore sometimes she's not going to do the right thing. I do think she acted like a jerk, but because I think she's pretty real and relatable. Obviously, her mom is not going to replace her, but it was obvious that she was jealous of Courtney and how much time they were spending." And uh, practically doing the same thing that what Ginger does, like the, the cooing or 
uh, like the oh cooking, <laughs> cooking like the cooking or going to the grocery store. That that Ginger may felt uh, may have felt ungrateful. I agree with Casey on the logic. All right. Well, I, I you know. I certainly think Patricia and I have some common ground, you know, I don't feel like we're completely at polar opposites here, you know. Uh, you could say it's a little out of character for Ginger. You could also say that, you know, Courtney was trying to usurp Ginger's place in her family, which would make anyone anxious. Sure. Okay, and let's see. Now we have the opposite opinion from Bebe Speaks. She says, I think it's an interesting episode. I agree with Patricia that it was a meh. This episode was easily forgettable. I think the writers could have added more to Carl's plot, but whatever can't change the past. I seriously cannot wait for And She Was Gone, one of my top favorite episodes of the series. Also, I'm anticipating your reviews on the uh, upcoming TV movies. When you do uh, do the second TV movie, can you get some of the original scriptwriters interviewed for that one? Well, the person who wrote that episode was Emily Kapnick, and we're trying! We're really trying! <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway. You guys will be the first to know. Yes, you will definitely be the first to know if we ever get a hold of Emily. <sighs> Anyway, so continuing on. Um, so yes, uh, yes, this person was is really excited for the um, the the third TV movie. Don't you worry, we will be covering that in the next couple of weeks. Um, okay, so we have a comment from uh, Hard Lover seventeen seventeen, and she says, "I found this episode entertaining. The music was great from the soap opera like opening, the action reality TV theme for Doctor Wong, and the little R and B riff used when Lois was straining Doctor Dave's tie. I also like the." Characters change clothes from day to day during the episode, something I noticed the first time during a screenshot that you had for Hoodsy and Carl, Lois's graduation portrait over the fireplace. I don't agree with that. I don't agree that Ginger actions were completely out of character. As the theme says, she's in between, trying to figure. Mm, nice. <laughs> Clever. She's trying to figure all of it out and learning on who she is. We are witnesses to the character development. Yes, Lois and Ginger get along, but Ginger to me seems to take Lois for granted. Lois has been missing Ginger's company and reaches out, but Ginger whines saying, do you really need me to? And then she gets embarrassed when her mother arrives with Courtney of all people, who found it to be no burden to travel with Lois. Next day, Ginger walks in on Lois and Courtney wearing matching aprons. <gasps> Casp! And after hearing her plans to cook dinner... And Lois goes on about how helpful Courtney has been. Now, Ginger's all like, stay away from my mother, and so miserable that even Dodie and Macy keep their distance. However, she remembers her manners when Courtney comes to get her stuff, and they even have a thought-provoking line. Sometimes they get a little. Sometimes she gets a little caught up and needs to be reminded that she has children. Don't you think Ginger started to think that perhaps she was a little bit too caught up on herself and needed to be reminded how Lois is always there for her? That maybe she needed to think about that she would feel if it was Lois in the hospital and how nice it would have been to be ha to have a friend support. So. Yeah, so in conclusion, uh, perhaps Ginger even takes to Courtney for granted and the effects that she has on her life. Ginger is still growing up. Yeah. No, I think that sums it up nicely. All right. And uh, one more uh, comment. We have one from No Parking Barry. And uh, he says, oh, joy, this episode. <laughs> Very big, bringing out the big guns. Yes. Alongside with TGIF, which I apologize for not commenting on. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Mommy Nearest is an episode that I dislike because of Ginger, who otherwise was my favorite character. Being a brat, I hated Ginger's jealous attitude, where she didn't seem to have it hammered into her thick, deformed 
looking skull that Courtney needs to spend time with a temporary maternal figure until Courtney's old mom recovers from her injury. Like Lois, you will always love you more than Courtney. Ginger, chill. In addition, why don't you realize it was your idea to have Courtney stay over? So why the frig are you getting vexed about the attention she's getting? And another thing, Ginger, way too... Freaking go wasting your opportunity to take advantage of the most popular girl in school staying over at your house. To this day, I'm still annoyed with how Ginger doesn't dump Dodie in favor of Courtney. In short... Ooh, that's a hot take right there. I don't know about that. I see this comment all the time. People wanting Do- uh, Ginger to dump Dodie for Courtney. I've uh, s- I- that would just make Ginger worse than Dodie, in my opinion. Uh, it's It's wishful thinking. In short, Ginger was worse here than in TGIF. Speaking of Dodie, I absolutely love the part where she calls Courtney needy and a deadweight. Look who's talking. As for the Carl and Hoodsy plot, it was a lot more fun because of the ridiculousness behind Carl wanting a big chin of all things. And I too love the boys' comments on that TV drama that they were watching, quite reminiscent of the reviewers I'm, re- I'm subscribing to. Overless, I give Mommy Nearest a nay. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're split down the middle with people about this episode some people like it and some people weren't too crazy about it well that sort of validates our both of our thoughts not that we needed it you know yes absolutely so yeah that's it for the comments everybody thank you so much for all of your wonderful insightful comments the next time we will be reading your comments we'll be doing it in our season two recap we'll be discussing about our favorite episodes of season two we'll be discussing about um the differences between season one and two and uh, predictions for what is to come for season three that is uh thank you so much everybody and enjoy the rest of the podcast this one aired on june 16th 2002 it was written by emily kapnick and it was directed by mark risley who uh, in a really exciting turn of events, is here with us today. Hello, Mark. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So, uh, right before we discuss about the episode, so what was the story behind it? Well, you know, uh, it's been quite some time ago, but I remember Emily coming to my office and handing me a newspaper article. Gosh, and I think that, like I said, it's been a long time ago, but I think that this story is based on a a, a personal experience she had i think that she actually wrote a poem not and she was gone but something similar and a and a counselor at school took it as meaning that she wanted to commit suicide and you know i think somehow and i'm probably butchering this you'll have to ask emily herself but um but somehow along the way that poem won a contest or something Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in this episode, Ginger writes a poem about a girl who wants to disappear for a competition. When Ms. Zorsky reads it, it is, she believes that Ginger is suicidally depressed and makes her see the school psychologist. In the meantime, we have Carl testing a vanishing powder on Noel Sussman, who he thinks is a nobody. When Noel disappears, Carl deeply regrets it. And this is the third of three episodes that was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Program in Less Than One Hour. That's right, a, pri- a primetime Emmy Award. Yes. Three consecutive, right? <laughs> For sure. Well, that's really interesting to hear that it was based on Emily's personal experience. We've had uh, a few storyboard artists and writers and other people who've worked on the show who have said similar things of like, you know, this little aspect of the show happened to me, and so I put it in, you know, a bit about Hoodsy uh, refusing to go to the bathroom to see how long he could make it, and, and stuff like that. Uh, some of these things are based on real uh people's experience who worked on the show. So uh, that's it. really interesting. Absolutely. And even Noelle Sussman, who plays such a 
critical role in this episode. An interesting backstory with her is that she was an incidental character that we created in season one. You'll see her in season one. I think she was right. a, a football jersey that said number 52 or 56 on it or something. And that was because she was incidental number 56, because we make hundreds of them, a lot of backgrounds, right? And then we saw gnomish character, and she took a liking to the character, and she expanded her role into this character, Noel Sussman. And I think that, that this isn't all that uncommon in this business, um, I think the same thing has happened with perhaps Apu and, and a few other characters on The Simpsons um, and, and other shows. Yeah, um, Eric Malinsky, who was one of the storyboard artists and we had on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, he discussed about Noelle, talking about like how the storyboard artists like to add her in in certain scenes and that the writers loved her so much that they decided to make her into a main character. That's exactly right, yeah. All right, so I, let me. Okay, so let's start off with the opening, and the opening is unlike any episode of As Told by Ginger, not only mm. like at, to this point in time that we're at, but pretty much throughout the entire series. It opens up with a crow that's flying around, going first person, and we just see the background is really, really dark and gray and somber. It is a brilliant opening to setting up the tone for this episode. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I want to, I want to give credit where credit is due in that opening sequence. And I mean, not only is Jared's music phenomenal in that opening, uh-huh. um, that an, a storyboard artist named Al, or uh, also known as Alan Zegler, is responsible, heavily responsible for the look of this episode. I, I work very closely with any of the storyboard artists on all of my shows, but Al is a real special case. Like, he was so brilliant that he was almost nuts. And I, I, you know, I've talked to him about this, but I've talked about this. <laughs> you know, when this script crossed my desk, and I knew immediately, everyone knew when this script came through the production office, that this was a very special script. And so I went to Al, who was fairly new on the production. I think the, new, the first show that he worked on was maybe Class Confidential. And... Um, and I went to him and I said, you know, I knew I could see his brilliance. And I went to him and I said, this is an opportunity for you to really shine. I want you to design the opening and the closing and all the moments with the girl in the, in the poem. And he delivered like nobody's business. Um, but being a storyboard artist, the storyboard artists are responsible for doing sequential drawings that cover, you know, X amount of time within the show. And Alan had gone in and, and done um some brilliant stuff uh you know for every scene he did he blocked out the entire scene and the mood of the scene in an individual drawing um but he did not do the individual panels and he was so out there i could never get him to to finish the storyboards mm-hmm. so, uh, even though it's absolute brilliance all the stuff with like going down with the the, the puppet strings and the whole schmear but another storyboard artist who was my nuts and bolts guy max martinez um he took Alan's drawings and made them sequential and made them work the way they do. And so those two guys are heavily responsible for, um, for the look of this very special episode. Right. So the episode begins with Mizorski making an announcement that there's going to be um, a poem competition. And the first thing that she read was this brilliant poem that was written by a 14-year-old. And I thought, wow, that was really good. And Ginger's like, oh, I want to be able to enter the competition too. And she's thinking about what am I going to write about? And so 
they come up with a bunch of ideas and uh, then eventually when Ginger's at home and she's making tea, she goes into an old-fashioned typewriter and then she starts typing. And this is another brilliant moment in which the typewriter just starts swirling down and it turns into the puppet strings where the little girl, where the girl is attached to. And then, you know, Ginger starts saying the poem. In those scenes, you'll see that there are mountains made out of letters. They're typed letters. Yes. So yes, that, I love that. And something very unusual happened during production. Those, those were represented in storyboards very roughly, but by the time that they went through designs, the designers based their background designs on storyboards, and they got on film, we found that there were there are word search words in there that nobody intended to put there. Like Catnick and other things, and if you watch those scenes and you pause and do a word search on them, you'll find the people's names. It was very strange how that worked out. Wow. So basically, it's just people's names, but all jumbled up with the word mountains and the word and the letters that are on the ground. That's right. Wow. So the so the poem continues, and the little and the girl is running away, and then there's a huge crack on the um, on the ground and steam comes out and that cuts back into ginger um checking on the tea kettle and she continues to say the poem out loud and then of course we have lois coming in thinking that she's talking to the tea kettle trying to make friends with an inanimate object mm -hmm. yeah that's a great scene uh-huh well, I, I really you guys have talked to that. i don't know if you've had her on the podcast who um but she uh, obviously she's the cornerstone of the series and so great throughout. Oh, we still have yet to get a hold of Emily. We've been trying so hard over the past couple of months, but unfortunately she's... Uh, from the last time I spoke to uh, one of her... Um, I think it was her manager or something, she said that she was working on a pilot for Fox and she was unavailable. So I'm going to wait a few more months and hopefully maybe by the end of the podcast, which will be around next February, maybe she'll be available by then. But as of right now, she's super busy. It would be so nice to have her uh, give her thoughts on it. I mean, this is, you know, this was her baby. Right. Yeah, everyone has mentioned her in such a positive light. It would be great to sort of tie it all together. But you know, regardless, it's, I think uh, Miss Zorsky, even though she's, you know, Ginger is okay in this episode, I think it proves that she's a, a very compassionate teacher to be concerned by something like this. Like, that is great that she's looking out for her students beyond the classroom. Agreed, and I think that that's probably, you'll have to ask him like this, but I would, I would guess that that is what happened in real life, is that someone who cared about her reached out and said, hey, this, is, this poem has some troubling content, you know, but they weren't trying to bust her or cause problems or anything. No, they were just being right. they were just being overly concerned because when you read the poem in context, it's very very disturbing. It's essentially a girl who wants to disappear from the world. So, right. uh, yeah, I guess we can cut over to Carl and Hoodsy's plot. So, uh, Carl and Hoodsy go over to a joke shop and they buy vanishing powder, and they want to use it against um, somebody that they think no one would miss, and they choose Noel Sussman, who pretty much from the very beginning has been in the background of every single episode. Well, I mean, most most episodes anyway, but yeah, she's pretty... Well, that's a clever idea then, given the backstory that we now have of, you know, how she was this literal background character, so who better to make disappear in Carl's deluded mind here? 
while Carl is pouring the vanishing powder all over Noelle's desk, Noelle then starts acting really weird. She has like these finger puppets of Miss, Mrs. Gordon, Kudzi, Brandon, and Carl, and she's like mocking their voices. And Carl and Hoodsy think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen instead of being insulted. It's awesome. There are three, there are three lines in this, in this episode, and it's not necessarily a, a, a comedic episode, but there are three hilarious lines to me in this, and I just watched it again for the first time in maybe five years. The, this scene where Hootsie says, is that thumb finger supposed to be me? That cracks me up. Thumb finger. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is, and it'll come up, I don't mean to steal your thunder if you're going to talk about it later, but uh, it's when uh, Dodie says, uh, at times like these, when things are going wrong for my mom, she goes to the bathroom and screams into a hand towel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's some sort of rough implications there. That's yeah. At the end, end uh, Vincent says, "He says, Carl, you're selling us up the river." And she wrote it intentionally, but it's, you know, it's down the river. But it's a kid, you know. I don't know why that one. Right, right. And they try so hard to be smart. My favorite line of this episode, and it's become one of my favorite lines in the whole series, is only one word. So first, you know, we'll get to their plot wise, but. Uh, Noel goes up to Carl and says, this is what my voice would sound like if we were underwater. And it's this sort of gargly underwater voice. And Carl pauses and looks at her and just says, amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so impressed by her. And like, he just realizing, oh my god, we click on this higher level. <laughs> like, she gets it. <laughs> oh, there's a beat there. There's a, there's a quiet beat there where you're not sure if he's going to say, is this girl crazy or what? <laughs> Exactly. And then he adds a little later, where have you been all my life? And she's, yeah. she can't hear him at that point. Just a great moment. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so when Ginger finds out from Mrs. Zorsky that she has to see a school psychiatrist, she becomes really concerned because all she did was write a poem. Then she told Ginger, and then she told Dodie and Macy about it, then she starts reading it, and once again we see more animations with the girl and just her laying down in a shallow pool of water, uh, her running back, uh, being chased by something, and then eventually her being enveloped by light. And then we have court and Miranda showing up saying like oh man Ginger I mean I always wanted you to disappear but I didn't know you wanted to disappear <laughs> and Creed delivers that line like nobody's business I was like yeah I was just watching the episode she delivered that line perfectly yes yes, yes. And then, of course, because because Courtney is wanting to have the center of attention, she goes all goth, and she dyes her hair black, and she starts crying all the time, just saying, Oh, Ginger, it's not always about you. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> and the therapist you know, calls her on it, that, too. That scene was that, you know, I was watching it again, as I mentioned, and... Um, it's one of the few, at the animatic stage at Class B Chupo, we would have screenings at the animatic stage. The animatics were beautiful, by the way, and I have a copy of this one if you ever want to see it. It's yes, please. Yes, please. We'd love to share it with everybody. So we would do these screenings, and after the animatic, there was a big crowd gathered outside, a lot of shaking of hands. This kind of st stuff didn't happen regularly. Everyone was so impressed with it. And again, at the finished episode stage where we would do screenings, same thing, lots of handshakes, and people were just, you know, the most excited about this episode of any episode that I worked on, Plastic Chubo. Um, but I was concerned about, after watching the finished version, and I made all, you know, I approved all the color and all that stuff, but when I saw Courtney 
with the black hair, I had I had second thoughts about, gosh, am I am I muddying the waters about the girl, right? The girl is ginger, right? Yeah. She's a proxy, right? But but Courtney doesn't have anything to do with it. So am I making this B story or the C runner? You know, too important, and uh, and but after watching it after fifteen years, I think I made the right decision. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's no, essentially I think so too. she's she's essentially trying to be the depressed girl in Ginger's poem. She's trying to get yeah. attention just for the sake of not losing it because everybody's talking about how Ginger's poem is basically her going through suicidal depression. Ginger's going to school therapy and and Courtney wants to get a piece of that. And so that's basically just, just Courtney crying, complaining. I mean, it's like one of the first prime examples that we see somebody complaining about first world problems. <laughs> she has plenty of those. <laughs> Yeah, so then, um, so going back to Carlin Hoodsey, so we learn a lot more about Noelle, about just how sh weird she is, like, we, we, we even saw, um, you know, like, there's files of her, like, she has the, she has a pet flamingo, she was born in Portugal, which, we actually <laughs> saw the flamingo in Hello Stranger. That's right, that's right. <laughs> She's obsessed with black holes, and she doesn't like touching veal and all that, and she was even like a background character, and Carl and Hoodsy, they feel like they made the biggest mistake in their lives by trying to make her disappear. <laughs> Such a great script. I have to say, and when we get to the questions later, I can get into more in-depth about this, but um, TV directors, the difference between TV directors and feature directors is fairly significant in that TV directors get a script, and you know, good or bad, you're going to work with it. Whereas um, a feature director typically brings the script in, or it's their script, and they're they're fashioning the story. So in television, you know, there are times where you're on a show where the writing's not that good. That's just the bottom line. We've all seen failed shows, and the failure is usually due to bad writing. You know. But when we started getting scripts in on As Told by Ginger, oh my gosh. <laughs> you, know, you can think about stuff like this. The, the look of the show, rather than trying to fix a problem, you can look at making the visuals beautiful, supporting the story, you know, making it great. And I think that happens throughout this series. And it's not, I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking a little bit about myself, but I'm talking about a great crew. Of storyboard artists and designers and writers and and you know uh, executives all the way through they just did such a remarkable job on the show yeah i agree and everyone speaks very similarly about it it's clearly a project that is stuck with people regardless of which directions their careers have gone yeah absolutely yeah. and even with the likes of you know we've interviewed melissa aspen and jackie we've had ken jared um we've had the storyboard artists we have eric and darren mcgowan and they've and we've, uh We've, we recently had Paul Greenberg on the show, and they've all said the same thing, that even though they've worked on different things, they always find, as told by Ginger, one of their favorite projects they've ever worked on, and one that has clearly stuck with them much later. And we even learned from Jackie uh, a few weeks ago about how, because of this podcast, it made you know the cast members reconnect again, which that genuinely made me happy. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yes. It really does. It has an effect, you know. It had because it was written from the heart. It still it sticks with people. It sticks with the audience. Clearly, it sticks with you. You were kids, right, when the show was was airing. Yep. You know, yep. Stuck with me. I was I was not a kid. I was 
I'm old and gray now. I was younger and gray then. (laughs) 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 Like, we were a team working on a great show and with great scripts. And it's just a time that everyone that I speak with, to the man or woman, you know, remembers working on As Told by Ginger. Yeah. uh, Going back into Ginger's plot, so Ginger starts becoming a lot more concerned that everybody thinks that she's a total nutcase. And then, of course, Lois, being the amazing mom that she is, comes by and lets her know that she shouldn't be afraid to express her feelings and that the the, the only person who should know personally about her is herself. And just seriously, that's so great. I love Lois. She's one of my that's what kind of thing gets here, right? <laughs> yeah, that scene and that scene, and you'll see where the where the writing and the visualization really come together in that scene um, is by the kitchen, by the sink, right? And and the focus racks through the window from this very touching scene with Lois and Ginger to how Carl and Hudson bailing out of the doghouse, you know, running off to do their thing. That was, uh, you know. I, stuck with me i forgot that shot but it really tied the two stories together beautifully done you know seamlessly done right yeah and of course we we even see that carl was so desperate to get noel back that he's willing to sell his petrified eyeball to blake so that he can pay the money so he can buy the reappearing potion you know, I was just about to mention that. It's it's funny because we, uh, one of our poll quotes, each season I change up our intro for this podcast, and one of the poll quotes I use is uh, us talking about the petrified eyeball and tracking that. We've sort of been tracking it through the show. Who has it? What, what are they up to? And uh, it's so funny that he was really willing to sell it. He was that committed and uh, that convinced that he really made her disappear. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we can start wrapping things up. So uh, Ginger starts feeling confident about um, you know the competition, even though if she doesn't know if she's going to win or lose. And and you know Carl didn't make Noel disappear. She just transferred over to another school. So he meets up with Noel. They have a genuine sweet moment. And um, you know he you know he learns that she uh, rented a she borrowed a book from the library about penguins and. So that's a Darren McGowan scene, by the way. You had Darren on. Really yes, great we, story we did. Board oh yeah, we got Darren on. He storyboarded that whole bit there at the schoolyard. Oh, that was great. So, well, well, we're going to be talking to Darren again, as well as uh, a few more storyboard artists. We're thinking about having a storyboard artist reunion. Oh, that would be great. There were, you know, a lot of great artists on there. They're all most of them are still around. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so we have not only you know Noel saying that awesome line about what you know this is what our voice would sound if we were uh, if if we were underwater, but then you know she starts doing the worm, she does the moonwalk, <laughs> and then um, that's that's not scripted. That was all Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Of course it was. Just from our brief conversation, I completely buy that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, you know, we he even talked about uh, in the episode Miss Feltley's Boys about how you did the chicken. <laughs> I mean, not the chicken, you did the farmer in that chicken cartoon. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> sure. We'll talk about that in our, we'll talk about that in the interview. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, um, I guess we can talk about the end credits because it definitely does need to be talked about. So you have uh, the poem being printed and then the, the words, and she was gone, like plastered all over the end credits uh, background and all that stuff. And Emily reading off the poem. It's, it's, so, it's such a good, good outro to this episode. 
Yeah, I love the I, I, thank you, and I, I agree. Uh, I'm not patting myself on the back because it was a team effort, but uh, we all knew this was a special episode. You know, when you're in production and you start seeing something like this, you're like, wow, we should do some special stuff for this. And uh, we did it a couple times. We did it here. We did it for, um, I don't remember the episode. Describe it. Uh, the, uh, there's a James Bond, uh, like a James Bond uh, title sequence. It's at the end of Diamonds Are. Is oh! Yes, yes, that's, I remember that one. That's called, um, uh, it's called About Face. That's in season three, yes. Directed by Tony Bell, great episode, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll, get, to, we'll get to that, um, we'll get to that in a couple of months, but yeah. The, um, <laughs> uh, but for, as far as the outro for this, uh, you know, we knew we, knew we needed new, uh, new music, we wanted new end credits, and the back plates were provided by Craig Simmons, who's a brilliant art director, really did a great job. Yeah, uh, right before we conclude our discussion. So, um, what was it like directing the, the, the voice actors for this episode? I didn't direct the voice. I, I, direct, I, I typically direct all my shows, but I didn't direct the voice actors. Oh, this okay. Uh, did, did you see, um, did you see, like, you know, their react? Um... Yeah, yeah, I was there, but I didn't direct them. I'm pretty sure that Emily directed this episode. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. what was it like, you know, seeing the direction for this episode? You can, you know, you can see the actors. They know when the material's good. You know, when they dig, when they dig in. And of course, on this show, you're getting two out, two out of three, and maybe better of great scripts. You know, and uh, you know, you get a little bit of a chill when you hear the lines read correctly, and uh, you know, the actors are adding stuff. They're ad libbing. You know, they uh, We did a lot of um, we did a lot of ensemble records, and uh, you know, so we have three actors in there, once playing off each other, uh, which is not typical in animation. And um, so, yeah, it was a great time. All right. And one more question. Uh, what made Emily decide to play Noel? <laughs> well, we, we, I think that it was, uh, I think if I remember correctly, I think I pushed her into doing it. She didn't want to do it. She was providing the scratch for the animatic. She was providing the scratch voice for the animatic. And then we were thinking, who can we cast for this? Should we stunt cast it or whatever? But we all fell in love with what Emily was doing. It was so great. So, you oh, know, totally. we pushed her into doing it. And, and it was a little bit the same thing with the song at the end. I think that Jared had to twist her arm a little bit to do it. She was wincing a little bit, as I remember. Yeah. She, uh, it's so great. I mean, nothing to wince about. Really great job. Absolutely. So I guess that's it. So, Mark, at the end of every episode, we always give a ranking of an episode, either yay, nay, or meh. So, yeah, why don't you start us off? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> All right. Um, as for me, I definitely do give this a yay, a super yay. Actually, I'm going to give this a super Ooh, yay. This this episode. That's our fourth option. We only save that yeah. for special occasions. So yeah, why don't you, yeah. you can give it a super yay as well, Mark? I give it a super yay for sure. Yeah. So this episode is just a full-blown masterpiece top three easily you know for all the people who um you know praise hello stranger they also praise this as well it's absolutely phenomenal both the carlin hoodsey plots are great the yeah. atmosphere is just dark and brooding and just so different than any other episode of the series everything about it is just amazing if you have not seen as told by ginger and you're wondering where to start off this will be a great one to start off with. Just please check this one out. Absolutely. Yeah. So this one's also a super yay from me. It's I overuse them, but this one also deserves it. <laughs> and 
I, so this, uh, on my spinoff podcast with Ashley, the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast, we, this was the first episode of As Told by Ginger we included on it. It was a girl power themed episode with this, Wild Thornberries, which I believe you also worked on. I directed Wild Thornberries, produced and directed Wild Thornberries, yes. Wow, yeah, so we did that, and then we did My Life as a Teenage Robot as well for our, our, our third of that episode, and we, uh... It was really great to revisit this one because that was over a year ago we discussed it and it, it, it's I I got more out of it having watched the show in order up to this point. I love, we didn't talk about it much, but Ginger's closing monologue before the outro is, I think, really great. Uh, admitting that maybe some of the poem did come from something inside her, but not, you know, confirming what the therapist was saying, of course. And... Yeah, it's uh, just a great episode through and through. Yes, and as mentioned before, that this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding uh, Program in less than uh, less than an hour. Uh, once again, just like I mentioned with um, Hello Stranger and with. Um, um, Lunatic Lake, I did find out what eventually won, and that was the Simpsons episode called Three Gays in a Condo, which I've never seen yeah, before. Yeah, it's hard, you know what, when you're up against The Simpsons and King of the Hill and Futurama, three, three. Right. Yeah, right. And it was, you know, I mean, I read. Let me go real quick, because I know that one of the, are we going to do the, 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 the uh, listener questions? Or, yes, yes, or, that's, or, that's later, yes. Okay, okay, I'll bring it up then. Okay. Um, sure. Yeah, uh, I just read the, the the episodes that were nominated, and it was tight. It was super tight. The Futurama episode that was nominated was Jurassic Bark. <laughs> hey, good one. Pretty good one. We were robbed. I will say it to my dying breath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, that should be it for our discussion of this episode. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It was awesome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And this coming Saturday, we will be having our bonus podcast where we'll be interviewing Mark, and we have all of your questions ready for uh, Mark to answer, and we have a lot of great ones, so stay tuned for that. Uh, tune in next week uh, as we are going to be talking about episode 38. Uh, hope to see you around soon, and thank you for listening. Bye, everybody. to walk alone, though others wondered why, refused to look before her, eyes cast upwards, towards the sky, she didn't have companions, no need for earthly things, she only wanted freedom from what she felt were puppet strings, she longed to be a bird, that she might fly away, she pitied every blade of grass for planted they would stay, she longed to be a flame, that brightly danced alone, felt jealous of the steam that made the air its only home, some say she was drawn. One autumn day to find that she had gone. Trees assisted witness, the sky refused to tell. But someone soon seen it, so the story played out well. She spread her arms out wide, breathed in the break of dawn. She just let go of all she held, and she was gone.